0: Hello and welcome to the Rejoicing Together podcast, a ministry of Maysville Baptist Church, where we share stories of God's transforming power as seen in the lives of our church members. On this week's episode, Alex Standridge joins us to talk about his recent mission trip to Nepal, international missions, and the church in Nepal. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, hello, and welcome to the Rejoicing Together podcast. My name is Nate Trawick, and I am joined today by Alex Standridge. Alex, thanks for joining us.
1: It's good to be here. I wish I had your radio voice,
0: but... <laughs> I don't know about all um, that.
1: I just got a face for it.
0: Yeah, so, uh, well, I guess, Alex, let's let's start with this. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? how did you get to Maysville? when did you come to Maysville? So on and so forth.
1: Currently, I am working at UNG um, in logistical services. All I do is open packages pretty much all day and mark off purchase orders and send them up to be paid. It's kind of like an administrative assistant position. Um, I think I came to Maysville about two years ago, two and a half, maybe three. The years kind of blur together after a little (laughs) bit. You're you're kind of like, what major event happened? It was definitely before COVID, so I can't go off of that. So that was two years ago, so it's gotta be like three years. (laughs) I think I was here at least a year before then. Um, So at least three years. So I came to Maysville because I had a friend that was coming here. We had been going to another church together. Uh, and I spent some time looking for a church. And came here and started coming more regularly, got involved. But then I got to know Chris Porter, helped with the children and stuff, and got involved with him. And then when he took over the college ministry, that was one of my calls. Is That transition period between 18 and college and getting freedoms and learning what to do with those freedoms. And so building a relationship, like a mentor kind of relationship with Chris. And I think it was was definitely during the summer of like a year after I started before, it was definitely before COVID. Um, There's just something that made me want to become a member here um, to actually be a part of what Maysville was doing, the direction they were going in and so decided to come here
0: cool obviously brought you here tonight and talk about uh international missions re- recent trip you just took maybe just explain a little bit about not necessarily the trip yet but just the the missions organization you worked with a little bit about uh dwight what he does um the ministry that he does and, and how you guys and then maybe get a little bit into the trip
1: yeah so missions has always been something that's been important to me i know you didn't ask that in your question but <laughs> so there was a moment when <laughs> I was trying to decide like do I want to do missions like permanently like a long term mission thing be out of the country be gone um or do I want to start a masters in theology and I landed on a masters in theology but the the call to missions hasn't left it completely but it is definitely different than what I think a lot of people think of as a call to ministry or a call to missions for me personally Mine isn't as so much the evangelism as it is the almost like church planting side, the the preparation of those pastors that are being brought up in those places. And I found that uh, some in this trip, and I realized more that that's what kind of the area, if I was going to do missions, that would be the area of training and equipping pastors and doing that kind of support. And I think f- the organization we went with was RU4, um, RU4 People, I think is their full title. Um, they also have a RU4 Homes where they, they do real estate, uh, sale, flip houses, stuff like that, to help fund their missions uh, here in the States. That's what they do here. Um, but their evangelism focus, for the most part, is what it seems like. There's four stages that they really focus on. Um, It's like evangelism, outreach kind of stuff first. And then they go into um, equipping them in the like job realm of preparing them to um, start a business, you know, try to bring um, stability and economic stability in a way to these people who are, you know, a lot of times poor. Um, lower classes or, you know, even third world countries. And so, and then there's uh, training for pastors and stuff like that. And I forget what the fourth one is. It's, um, it always escapes me. (laughs) I feel like it comes back around, but it always escapes me when I'm trying to like list it out. So they are greater scope than just evangelism, just sharing the gospel in these places. Um, They're definitely a long-term type mission organization um, where they're in country a lot and they've been in the, in Nepal specifically and Cambodia and, um, India a while. Um, it's not something like new and it's not like, obviously we went on a short-term one, but the organization as a whole focuses on these long-term goals in these places. And, but in the training of it and like learning what we're going to be doing, how we're to do it, stuff like that. Um, there seems to be a large focus on just the evangelism, which you, as um, people who do ministry and stuff like that, you you kind of understand that when you're taking a group of people from multiple different backgrounds, they're going on a short-term mission. It's easier to focus to get them to focus on just the gospel, just sharing the gospel, than some of the other things like training pastors or teaching business and stuff like that, because those are specialized. Um, So that's what you get just as a blanket thing. Ours ended up being, um, to me, a lot more focused on the actual ministers that are there, Um, partly because of COVID and some of that. um, We ended up doing groups for evangelism more than going house to house like he normally would. So we, we did a pastor's conference while we were there, um, and this consisted of, oh man, there had to be at least 30 uh, pastors there um, that come from all different villages, all different places that we ended up training. And there was only three of us, Chris Porter, myself, and Dwight, who runs the RU4 organization. We trained these pastors on 1 uh, Timothy, is our main focus there. How to set up the structure of a church, um, discipleship, preaching the word. Uh, we try to keep it simple, but also like solid biblical, you know, theology and um, ecclesiology, and try to lead them in a direction that they can go in for their churches. Uh, so this trip for me um, definitely felt more to my calling. And so to be able to minister to pastors over there who should have that same uh desire for their sheep for their flock for for those that are Christians um to be built up so this organization um they really try to do a good um a good bit of each area um, that can really improve the lives of these people, not just um spiritually, but also in the temporal sense, in the in the physical sense that they are struggling now in. Um, when we see Jesus performing miracles and the um, disciples performing miracles, you know they're they're meeting those physical needs in those people's lives, um, and then they are meeting their spiritual needs, you know because it's it's hard to see those spiritual needs um, when you're starving or when you're sick and lame you know, or have leprosy or whatever it may be. It's hard to see that the eternal need sometimes. And so it's nice that this organization is really focused on meeting really all of those needs. Um, They just happen to, when you're going through the training, it just feels more like evangelism training. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels like faith for anyone who who's went through faith, it feels a lot like that. Didn't feel unequipped to go over there and share the gospel. Sure, I was, I was definitely nervous. <laughs> like I, I got the, you know, you're gonna preach out of church, um, you're gonna teach pastors. I, I'm neither a pastor <laughs> nor have I preached out of church yet. <laughs> uh, so it was very interesting when you're like, wow, like I'm going to train pastors how to pastor. And I have yet to be a pastor, <laughs> um, but luckily we have the word. And mm-hmm. if we focus on the word, then we can equip those to pastor because it's there in the word. Mm-hmm. And then to see the churches over there and see that a lot of them were small churches. Um, a lot of them are like family churches in the sense that the whole family is making up half of the church, at least um, the the big church that we partnered with, um, prayer church, uh, Biru and his family, um, host the, the missionaries that come over there, the people that come with Dwight, um, and Biru lost his brother in September, uh, to COVID. And this is six months ago, you know, we're coming in with fresh wounds for him, um, and to see his family, um, his kids and wife, but also his brother's kids and wife and how he is still taking, he's taking care of them, Mm -hmm. you know, um, they have their own house and stuff, but like he, he has become that leader for them. You know, he's taking it over the biblical way, you know, the way we see it in the Bible. When, when a husband of a wife dies, his brother takes over the responsibility of that family, you know, to be the spiritual leader, to be the provider and to see that in a country that has what we would say would have less than us and to not see it as often here is, it's eye-opening. Um, but to see that those families like that, like Biru taking over his brother's family, I mean, there's like eight to ten of them at least. There are so many people in the house all the time. <laughs> it was hard to keep up with who is related to who. But um, they do church together. Mm-hmm. like. His son, Biru's son, does the music. He does the videos. He does like the worship, all that, you know. And his his wife does the cooking for the the missionaries that come in. When we did the pastors' conference, I'm sure she was the one that cooked all (laughs) the food for the pastors that come and visit us um, to do the conference. Um, his uh, his niece, who was one of our translators, Proscenia. Um, Cynthia, for short, because she said uh, Americans couldn't couldn't get the whole name. <laughs> I didn't think it was that long of a name, um, but she took over her father's catering business. You know, and she's in school. She's 24. Um, she took that over, took over that responsibility. Um, her brother Avi um, is a IMB missionary. That's where he works for. He does IT stuff with them and. I'm sure a multitude of other things. Um, but they basically run the ministry that is the outreach that's over there mm. that Dwight has started and participates in. But they're the boots on the ground. They're the ones that are there day in and day out that are running this. And that's a lot of responsibility on a 20-something-year-old. Yeah. And there's no way that they could do that without the family structure mm. that they have. Um, So this is what you see in those churches is that it's like it's a father who has started a church who's been called to preach and he's ministering to his family, Hmm. you know, and I'm sure he's got like brothers and sisters that are coming, you know. And so it's really like family church, um, which is great to see, like the reliance on each other, um, that need for one another um, when somebody passes away, Hmm. that that there is somebody Hmm. there to count on um and it's something that you can kind of see in american church but you don't see it the way you see it over there yeah you know
0: yeah absolutely and i i, I want to get into that a little bit because um, obviously a big part of mission trips you know you experience you know the, the culture shock right the, the difference in the culture the climate the food the people the language right all that but um beyond that like because i mean those are obvious things right like the food obviously different i've seen pictures of some of the food y'all ate and, uh, I'm proud of you for eating it. <laughs> just put it that way. Um, but you know, beyond that, how, how is the culture different over there? And I guess specifically, how did you see the gospel impact the culture in that, in that area?
1: So it's kind of, it's kind of hard for me to, um, articulate the culture difference, not, not because there isn't one or that I didn't experience one, I tend to focus on what we have in common. You know, I see a person first as human. You know, the rudiment of who they are is human, right? Mm. And we all have different culture. Like, even me and you have a different culture. Like, we grew up differently, right? Yeah, we we grew up essentially in the same area. Like, me me and Nate, like, his his family home is, like, five minutes from my house. It's not very far. <laughs> we didn't know each other growing up, but that's how close he was. Um, so you would think that, you know, when you look at it on paper, mm-hmm. we should be the uh, identical in a lot of senses culturally, but I can tell you we're, we're not at all, right? Mm-hmm. And so I tend to focus on what we have in common. I have already become disillusioned With the like American dream kind of idea that like America knows best, you know, and that we need to take America everywhere, right? Like, no, these people, these people live better than we do, right? They have less stuff than we do, right? They have a harder life in some sense, right? Because they they farm for a lot of their food, you know it'd be like if you looked at America in the nineteen forties, right, where the majority of people are farming their own food and they're struggling and stuff like that, but it's a more fulfilling life in a lot of senses, and so a lot of ways these people have it better than we do um and if you go into it, you know with that idea of like America's got it right and all that, you are gonna you are going to get the culture shock, right? Mm-hmm. You are going to be like, oh my goodness, these people live like this? Like, how do they live like this? This is insane, you know? For me, it's more like, wow, like, these people live like this? Like, mm-hmm. this is awesome. Like, it's awesome to know that more than likely, any village you go into, that their brothers, their mother, their grandmother, you know, are all living within like a hundred yard of each other and they are relying on each other in a way that we don't rely on each other here. Um, And then they're farming their own food, you know, like it's, it's right there. You, it's right out their doorstep, you know, Um, their food's better than ours, you know? Yeah, it's different, right? Like, but it's no different than any other like Asian food. Right, like we got lucky. We got some American-style Nepali food basically um, at the prayer church. So we had like sesame seed chicken and waffle, or not waffles, but pancakes, uh, omelets. Like we ate good, (laughs) but we did go out to the village um, one of the days out to Golchi, um, and we, me and Chris, split up from Dwight. So me and Chris went to one village, and he went to another. And we ended up in, like, a middle-class village. So they had, like, concrete-style houses and stuff like that. Um, Still very village-like, right? Still farm outside, goats running around everywhere. (laughs) Um, Water that's pumped up from the river, like, up this way, and it's, like, a central area, Um, you know. So it's still remote. But the food that we got there, for the most part, was fine. Like, it was just, like, one dish in the – amount of dishes that we had on this plate because they bas- they basically gave us rice, uh potatoes. We had like a spinach dish. They called this stuff spinach. I ain't never seen spinach that looked like this. <laughs> I think it was just like a type of collard green or something like that. Like it was a green that you know you cook up. So I mean essentially spinach, but it didn't really taste like spinach and um didn't look like spinach. It was a lot bigger um than the kind of spinach we would have here. Um and like a cabbage dish, Um, all of it, for the most part, all of the um, like meats or vegetables that you would get are basically cooked in turmeric and other spices. So they're all like yellow, (laughs) like all the food's just yellow. Um, But then we had a dish of like minnows, basically. I'm pretty sure they were carp. They were like baby carp. That's kind of what the mouse looked like but it wasn't that bad. It was fishy. It was definitely fishy. And it was crunchy. Cause it's like,
0: like sardines. Like, yeah. Like yeah.
1: that's what, like I got to thinking about it and talking to people at work and stuff, um, about the trip. Cause yeah, that's like, that's the most culture, cultural shocky thing that I experienced really. That was like, this is weird other than the bathroom situation. Uh, <laughs> I was so glad to get an American bathroom by the time I got back. <laughs> um, But if you camp a lot, you would experience that and it wouldn't be an issue. Like if you're used to a shower and your toilet being in the same room and everything getting wet, like you would be used to that, right? Like it wouldn't be as big of a deal. Um, Commonalities, right? Like focus on the, like, yeah, like if Mm. you camp a lot and you experience a camper bathroom, you've essentially experienced a Nepali bathroom. Mm. They're smaller than American bathrooms and everything gets wet when you shower. The water is generally cold, <laughs> which is if you've been camping also probably what you've experienced sure. from time yeah. to time. Cause you're not always, things always work out when you're camping. Um, but yeah, so they, they were crunchy, but if you like sardines, if you eat sardines a lot, you'd probably ate that. And yeah, it looks weird. It looks weird in sardines. Anchovies probably the closer, closer comparison. Cause they're generally whole. I think, you know, if you buy them, they're like whole. Um, so you see the face basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, like you, you would have probably ate it and you'd have been like, Oh, this is pretty good. Like yeah. you know, Chris is a baby about it. I mean, <laughs> let's just put that on the record. Chris
0: is a baby when
1: it comes to <laughs> when it comes to food.
0: So obviously, um Nepal kind of sandwiched between two competing powers, China and India. So you have a a Buddhist presence there, you have a Hindu presence there, and now you have this growing Christian um influence there. Um, how did you see the gospel playing out in that culture in terms of the the people that you came in contact with who were Christians? How how were they different? Was it was it like a obvious difference between them and others, or how how would you describe that?
1: That one's difficult for me to answer too. I feel like a lot of these questions are just hard for me to answer. Um, I've I've tried processing it, but it's also hard to answer because. As you know, my opinions on a lot of things are a lot different than other people's. Um, But I will say that as a whole, that country, that people, um, there's 247, 246 people groups in Nepal. Uh, People groups are essentially like language barriers, like, you know, anything that's like a dialect difference between languages, um, sometimes it's, it's something like, uh, I forget what Dwight called it, but basically you can have people that speak the same language, but if they warred against each other and there's like this history, um, they would be considered different people groups. Even if they came from the same area, you know, speak Hatfields the same kind of thing. Yeah. Like yeah. they would be considered different people groups because mm. they refused to associate with each other. Um, Like it's something that like for that to be mended is like God, right? Like for something to change there, it would be an act of God is like kind of the way they look at it. But there's a lot of people groups there. But as a whole, like if you just look at them as Nepali, um, which is a people group actually within within Nepal. Nepali is one of them. Um, But if you say like they're all Nepali because they're from Nepal, right? Um, As a whole, like they're just nice people, like caring people. Um, friendly for the most part. Um, I had one experience that was like, this is potentially, you know, but I didn't have a translator with me at the time. So mm. it, it was like broken English. And um, so it could have been that, right? Um, but as a whole, like, they're just good people. Um, caring people, loving people, hardworking people. We've seen women carrying baskets on their back, like full of bricks, um, carrying them, up the side of a hill like to the building that was being built like just hard-working people um, so I'd say as a whole like they're friendly Um we didn't experience any like extreme religious people who like were opposed to us necessarily that you know tried to attack us or really said anything bad against us that we know of you know they didn't try to do anything it wasn't it wasn't aggressive against us. And I think that's kind of common. And when you think about Hinduism and Buddhism, um, I think the Hindus tend to be a little bit more violent, like um, especially in India. I think they're a little bit more aggressive is what Dwight was saying. Um, But like Buddhism is like, it's like a peace religion. Like when you think about those religions, like the thing you think about is peace and harmony and like, friendliness like kind of stuff so it's not like an aggressive religion to begin with Um, but as far as the difference in Christian and like the Hindu I don't think I I don't think I got to sit and talk with someone I knew was like super Hindi like somebody that like was just super religious in the Hindu culture and like had like a full-on conversation with them to really answer, like the very distinct difference of like how this person's life is going versus how the person's life is going as a Christian. But I can tell you that the the Christians that are over there, the people that are N- Nepali and um, have come to know Jesus as their Lord and have submitted to that, they have a joy about them. I mean, and I think that's seen. I think you can kind of see that. Um, maybe it's because I got to know them better than I did. Maybe some of the Hindus, um, or Buddhists, but yeah, like I think it's, it's true that there's a great joy in Christianity that can't be found in any other religion. Um, and you can see that you can see that in, in the way that they care for one another, um, the way that they act, um, how happy they are to see you, um, and stuff and so you can see the effect that the gospel has there um and you can really see it when you think about the fact that a lot of the pastors that was in that conference biru has been doing this a while knows a lot of the pastors in his area kind of thing and there was a lot of those pastors that he didn't know like personally like didn't have this like camaraderie, friendship, you know, I'm talking to you on a regular basis, kind of knowing. Um, So God is calling up churches there, calling out pastors um, in Nepal. So it's definitely growing. Um, And I think what's important um, for us as Christians here in America to kind of remember is that these people need the gospel more than anything, right? but the people who are most effective at bringing that gospel to them are in that country. You know, like obviously there's people that need to hear the gospel from us so that it can be more people there. But those pastors in that country are where that country's reliance on whether or not they're going to be more Christian is like, there's nothing we can do as an outsider, you know, coming in that is going to do more work than a Nepali sharing the gospel with another Nepali, you know? And so, I mean, it's great to see that because they're eager, they're eager to learn how to be a pastor, how to be a good Christian, you know, like every person in our pastor's conference had a notebook was (laughs) writing down stuff. Chris preached at prayer church and he said, everybody there had a notebook and was writing stuff down. Kids, adults, older people, like all ages had a notebook writing it down. You know, they're eager for the word of God and they're eager to apply it to their life. Like that's a big thing is uh, I think a lot of times as Christians here and, you know, probably anywhere is um, we get caught up kind of on the, the salvation side of things and, and go into heaven. Like all the benefits, so to say, of being a Christian Um, And we don't always focus in on the practicality of being a Christian. What does this mean for my day-to-day life? You know, how does this change everything about who I am? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the end result is great, right? Like, I get to spend eternity with my Savior, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's awesome. But guess what? I get to spend today with my Savior, right? Like I I get to be in his presence now. I have been reconciled. As Christians, we are reconciled back to God now. Not perfectly, right? Like we're not glorified yet, you know, and we're working to be more like Christ. We're being sanctified, but we're only that if we abide in his word. We're only sanctified as much as we live in his word as much as we abide in Jesus, mm. right? And so those people, they're eager to abide. They're eager to get brought out of their situation there, you know? Because I don't think there is a lot of hope in in Hinduism or Buddhism. Like, your best bet is to live a good life and hope that you get reincarnated into a, a better being, you know? That you don't get reincarnated into... An ant or you know whatever the dirtiest animals they think of are mm. um the worst of the worst um and so like what hope is that like I, mean, I got another life to live if i mess this one up i'll just hope i do it better next time right like you get these like redos and all but like we we have one life to live like the whole yolo thing is kind of stupid but it is true like we have one one life right like and it lasts forever And it all depends on where you're going to spend it, you know, after you die. But you have one human life in the physical realm that we live in now um, to really make a difference. Um, As Christians, um, we're called to make that difference in becoming like Christ. Yeah. You know, and and we do that in the Word. And so it was great to see just their
0: eagerness for the Word. One thing, Chris— told me, and I I just, you know, obviously never having been to Nepal, uh, never even thought about this, but one thing he said about the Christians there is that the Hindus, um, the the fathers in the Hindu families won't eat with the rest of the family. The reason why that is is because eating is an act of worship for them, and if they do it with the family, it's like kind of marred in some way according to their beliefs. But one thing that, uh, I forget who told him there, but that uh, the Christian fathers, and that culture will eat with their families. Um, they don't practice the same things that they did when they were Hindus, and I think what you're talking about, you know, their willingness to forsake their old ways and learn this new way, um, and they're eager to do that. Um, it, something just from hearing you talk a little bit about it, hearing Chris talk about it, it's something that I think the Christians in America could really stand to learn, um, because church, for so many of us, is just commonplace. It's just... Well, I go to church on Sunday, I go to church on Wednesday night, Um, I read my verse of the day from the Bible app, and I pray over meals, and that's my Christian walk, and that's what makes me different. Um, And, you know, we look around at other people in our culture who claim to be Christians, and we say, oh, well, I'm doing more than they are. Well, Well, the problem is, is you're comparing yourself to a person who claims they're a Christian, but who's not actually living the Christian life. You're just putting on some level of religion. Um, to make you feel more like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing but I think, I think that what you said is really good about how they would embrace that and they had a desire to, to learn um, definitely something that, that we can learn here. Um, just in closing and, and you've kind of hit on some things as you've gone, but what are some ways that uh, people listening um, how can they be praying for what's going on in Nepal the church in Nepal, those pastors that you talked about, the Christians um, and just uh, the country as a whole
1: I think those people that we worked with directly, Biru, Avi, um Cynthia, like they need prayer in the sense of they're still mourning the loss of a brother, loss of a father. Um and that was a big figure for them. I think one of the things I experienced from Avi and I never got to meet him before. Um but Dwight kept kind of asking him, you know, you okay? You okay? Like he could tell that Avi wasn't quite his normal self, what it felt like he was struggling with. And this may be because, you know, I've kind of felt this feeling as well is like the responsibility of the family being like thrust upon you. Um, You know, he went from a son to a leader of his family real quick being the male. Right. Like even in our Christian culture, even in America culture, like the male is the head. Right. And so he lost his father and now the responsibility really of his sister and his mother is on him, you know? And I think, I think that's something that, you know, we could be praying for him for. And so peace for him. Um, and probably the same thing for Asensia, um, his sister, um, not that she is taking over the responsibility, you know, of the family, But she did take over the responsibility of their their business. Like, she's basically running the business that her father ran, the family business in a way, Um, praying for her that, you know, she'll find strength in that. She's in school and then is doing the catering and all that. So she's got a lot on her plate, you know. And then Biru. Biru seemed to be doing really good. He seemed to be handling it well, but he could be, you know. Stoic man putting on, putting on the show. But I'm sure he has a lot that um, stresses him about the growth of the ministry. I know he has this uh, burden for training those pastors. I mean, he sees that need um, that these pastors that are being called out um, would have people to come train them. You know, because we, we share the gospel there. Um, me and Chris did, and Dwight and. And every time Dwight takes a group, the gospel is shared there. Um, But how often do they get trained pastors that know the gospel, that know theology, that know the Bible, the Word of God, um, to teach them how to structure their church, you know, to run a church the biblical way. And so to be in a country where you don't have a lot of, mentors. You don't have a lot of churches available. Um, and to be called to ministry and go like, what do I do? You know? So, so pray that there are people that are equipped to train them that will be willing to go. They need that. It's, it's a need that's there because like I said, like there's no one that's going to reach that country better than those Nepalis that are there. To think that, you know, though we are doing a good work, and sharing the gospel there, um, it's it's not all that we can do. Um, there's plenty to do, um, and there and there's plenty to do for all different people. What is your gift? Like, what has God equipped you with? And so, just be praying that as a whole, that the the ministry that Dwight has brought there is well rounded. You know that it's training. Um, that it's equipping, that it's, you know, bringing the Bible, the word of God to these people, um, giving them the word of God, um, helping them build biblical churches that, and not build in the sense of like physical building, but like build a body of Christ, um, that is biblical, um, that they can be a part of, that they can experience, um, because cause they need that. They need they need churches. They need pastors. They need the word of God. You know, and all of that pours out the gospel, you know. Yeah. They need to hear the gospel, but they need so much more than just to hear the gospel once, you know. Yeah. Cuz what's the likelihood of that person hearing the gospel again the, in a remote village, right? Like obviously the places we went, there's pastors involved there. Um, there was pastors that had a list of names for giving out the the water filters and stuff like that. Um, so they are getting reached. But think about those remote villages. Think about those places where there may be a a, minish, um, a missionary there one time, you know, and sharing the gospel. Like we need something to be able to, to leave a legacy of Christianity there that's more than just, you know, a one-time thing. Um, So just just pray, like I said, like for a well-rounded ministry in Nepal that is meeting all
0: the needs um, of the Nepali people. Cool, cool. Well, Alex, I really appreciate it, man. I really appreciate you being on uh, the podcast today. And uh, for those of you listening, uh, thank you for joining us today. I hope you guys uh, were encouraged by that, uh, challenged by that. And uh, look forward to having you back next week. Thanks again so much for listening to our podcast today. The Rejoicing Together podcast is a ministry of Maysville Baptist Church. We hope and pray that this episode has encouraged and will challenge you to grow in your faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you would like more information about the church, our other ministries, or information on how to support those ministries, please visit maizevillebaptist.net. If you have questions about today's episode, or would like to speak with a pastor, please contact the church. Again, thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a blessed day.